the Spirit. And um, so today I'd like to pick up on that emphasis and uh, share with you this morning from the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verses 5 through 7. And I want to talk to you about fanning the flames. Let me read it to you. Paul wrote to Timothy a letter. Timothy was Paul's son in the gospel, and he was the senior leader of the church at Ephesus. Historians believe that that church may have numbered as much as 75 or 80,000 at its peak. Last October, or October before last, Renee and I had the opportunity to visit the ancient ruins of Ephesus. What an awesome moment it was to stand where Paul stood and where Peter, I mean Timothy, and many more of the great men of God of the first century were. And so Paul is writing a letter to uh, the senior leader of the church in Ephesus. And he says this, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that that same faith continues strong in you. Can you say amen? amen? Faith gets stronger from generation to generation. You may be the first in your family to be a person of faith. Make sure that you ground your children and grandchildren in the faith of Jesus Christ and the Word of the Lord, so that each generation the faith gets stronger and stronger. If you're here today and you're a second or a third generation believer, your roots grow deep and it is clearly an advantage to be two or three generations down the line of believers in Jesus. People that have lived their life for Christ, raised their children in a godly home and passed the torch of faith on. I want to encourage you in that. But with it, it brings a great responsibility. You've heard me say that Renee and I feel that we owe everything we have to our parents, both of which were strong believers. Our grandparents were strong believers. And if we fail to live for God, if in some way we fail to be effective in the kingdom of God and do something of significance, we would have no one to blame but ourselves. Because our families, for generations, laid a foundation for us to build off of. And the faith that was in them is the faith that was within us. It inspires me to transfer that faith to my children and my grandchildren. The Bible teaches that the faith of the righteous lasts for generations upon generations. I believe that if the Lord tarries... The faith that I and Renee have lived in will impact our children beyond our lives. And our heritage that may never have seen our faces will operate under the blessing and the faith that our lives have stored up for them. So I want to encourage you to live out your faith and to make sure that you're passing that faith on. Let me continue to read. He said, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but power, love, 
and self-discipline. Now, in this verse, he talks about fanning the flame that is in you. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, but previous translations use the terminology, stir up the gifts that are within you. But the word picture is very clear and the same. If you are tending a fire, there are moments when you must stir the fire, when you've got to move it around and cause it to reignite and to burn more brightly. If a fire is not stirred, if the flames are not fanned, it will inevitably go out. There is a tremendous spiritual lesson in this verse, a lesson that tells us that if we are not faithful to fan the flames in our life, to stir the fire of God in our own heart, inevitably it will go out. It doesn't necessarily mean that sin will come in and your life will be destroyed, but it means the passion for God, the walk with God, the intimacy with God, the power of God has a tendency to die and go out if it on a regular basis is not fanned are stirred up in such a way that the fire will burn out. It's important that every believer understands that dynamic. And so Paul writes to his most outstanding son in the gospel, a man that he had nurtured and raised in the gospel, a man that he'd laid his hands on, ordained and authorized for ministry, had commissioned him as the pastor of the great church of Ephesus. And he says to this prime premium young man, already moving in a powerful gift, already handling great responsibility for the kingdom, be careful that even in your place of great authority, responsibility, of constantly being in the work of God, be careful that the fire doesn't go out. Fan the flame, stir it up. And make sure that that fire continues to burn brightly in, our, in your heart. If that is true about a man with the roots of faith that Timothy had. If that is true about a man that had so many gifts and so much responsibility in the kingdom. It must be true for all of us today that we must be careful to stir up the fire of God in us. Fan those flames and make certain that the fire doesn't go out. Now, he specifically says to stir up the gift of God that is in you, that was given to you when I laid my hands on you. Paul references Timothy's ordination, service, ceremony, or moment in time. When he was officially ordained, authorized, and commissioned for the work of the ministry. Paul, being his spiritual father, laid his hands on him, prayed over him, and began to speak anointed words of God over him. It was at that moment that God empowered him with certain spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are abilities that God gives to us. When you have a spiritual gift, you have the desire, the motivation, and you have the ability that is beyond that which you would have otherwise had. So given the responsibility that Timothy was going to carry, 
It was important that he had gifts to match the responsibility. Um, And so he said, when I prayed for you, God gave you giftings, abilities, certain supernatural abilities to do the work and to complete the responsibility and assignment that I've given to you. When God gives you an assignment, he also gives you giftings to complete that assignment. He never sends a soldier out to battle unarmed, untrained, and unprepared. But he equips those that he calls, and he sends them out. But our gifts and abilities seem to get rusty. Like a fire, it seems to go out. And what may have burned so brightly and intensely just a few years before can tend to burn down and burn out. And it's important that we stir that gift up, that we fan those flames, and keep our gifts working at an optimum. They won't do that on their own. Time will take an effect, and gradually the gifts will die out. How do you know when the fire is going out in your life. First of all, your level of passion and desire begins to diminish. Your level of hunger for God begins to decrease. And if you monitor your motivation, if you monitor your desire, if you monitor your hunger for God, when you see it going down, you know the fire is going out. So the first thing we have to do is continually be monitoring the level of motivation for we we have in our hearts for the things of God, the work of God, the service of the Lord, worship of God, all of these things we monitor the level of desire. There can be a season of your life when you can't wait to get in the house of God. You can't wait to get in the building, and you're there early, and you might stay late, and you look forward to the next opportunity. And then there may be another season of your life when it's difficult to get your pants on. Like, <clears throat> do I have to? Can I think of any reason not to? Can I sell it? Is it a good enough reason to me to sell? First of all, to myself and then to someone else. And the desire seems to go away. It's at that point that Paul said, fan the flames, stir up the gift. Don't let your passion die. Don't let your desire diminish and be to such a low point that you cannot get up and go do the things of God. Now, there are times when self-discipline has to kick in in my life. When for whatever reason, at that moment, I just don't want to do what needs to be done. And it's that point that I have to have enough self-discipline to say, it doesn't matter if you want to or don't want to, you're going to do it. So let's go, right? But understand that you cannot live your life on raw, sheer self-discipline, forcing yourself to do the right thing. There has to be something in you that says, I want to do this. About 10% of the time, you may be able to use self-discipline to do what you need to do and do what is right. But 90% of the time, there's got to be a fire burning in you that said, this is what I want to do. 
So God help us not to fall below that line. How do I know when the fire's going out? My spiritual habits are crowded out by other things. Spiritual habits. The routine of prayer and devotion, of fasting, of seeking God. The routine of going to the house of God. The routine of serving God and offering gifts and abilities and my time to help the work of God and help others. When, when other things begin to crowd it out. Now there are times in life when responsibilities add up. Some of the things that I see happening on a regular basis is sometimes parents have to be cared for. And it takes your time that you might have otherwise spent serving the Lord. And so you have to make an adjustment. Sometimes little children get sick and need special care. Or they have a need that you have to, you have to adjust your time. And sometimes you may be working overtime or something may be happening in your career that's demanding a lot more of you. And those seasons happen. But in those seasons, our spiritual habits are forsaken. Our spiritual habits die. The season is over and we don't have good habits anymore because new habits have been formed. So it's important that even though you realize there are seasons of life and things change and you have to make adjustments to where you are right now, don't forsake spiritual habits. And when the season changes, get back into a good routine and a good way of life, a good ritual that keeps the fire of God burning in your heart. As a pastor, we understand that the year changes, the way we live changes, and so we have to adjust to each season. The summer, people on vacation, they're living a little different life. Historically, all across America, church attendance team seems to go down slightly in the summer. But September hits, kids go back to school, and it seems to pick back up, and pastors are always really happy about that. Uh, because the season is now in our favor and people are getting back in routines. So every September, you know, you kind of got to, okay, kids going back to school, we've got to get our routine back. And mothers get all excited because their kids are going back to school. Uh, and that's a good thing. Uh, but remember, your spiritual habits have to adjust with the seasons of life. Then we hit Thanksgiving and we eat too much turkey and then Christmas is here and we eat too many pies and cakes and then January comes and what are we all doing? Fasting. (laughs) We're fasting and we're seeking God. And so you have to learn how that your life is not stationary or it's not flat. It's up and down and you have to adjust to it. And if you're not careful... You can let a temporary season become a permanent situation in your life. And instead of making the adjustment and reestablishing those good spiritual habits, you can just simply let them die. So I encourage you to reinforce your spiritual habits. Now Paul specifically refers to gifts here. I think monitoring our gifts is very important. The frequency of our gifting, the effectiveness of our gifting, and the fruitfulness of our gifting is very important to monitor. There are three basic categories of giftings in the Scripture. First of all, there is the ministry gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Then there's what we refer to as extraordinary gifts from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
And there are nine of those extraordinary gifts. And then in the New Testament, there are more than a dozen other gifts that we call motivational gifts like the gift of serving, the gift of leading, the gift of giving, and others. And um, these gifts are all abilities and motivations that God gives us to do His work, to be effective in our life. These gifts are not just made for the house of God, but they're made for your home and they're made for the workplace. I believe that the gifts of God, even the extraordinary gifts of the Spirit, should be used in the marketplace. And people that operate in a word of knowledge, word of wisdom, gift of healing or miracles or faith, all of these things are designed for the marketplace. And sometimes we only see those gifts in operation in the church and we think that's the method, the model, and the mode that that gift is to operate. But when you use your gifting in the marketplace, in the conduct of life, your career, your workplace, it's important to know how to use those gifts in that setting, and it may look very different than it does in the house of God where you have a very familiar and mature audience. But your gifts are made to be used everywhere all the time. And the frequency of your gift being used, the effectiveness of your gift, the fruitfulness of your gift is all an indication of how brightly the fire of God is burning in your heart. When your gifts grow rusty and dull, it's because the fire of God is not burning in your heart and something needs to be done. Can I get a great big amen for all of that? The devil uses several tools to put the fire of God out in our lives. First of all, he uses distractions, distractions, distractions. Things happen in life that distract us, and they, they capture our attention, they capture our emotions, they dominate our thinking, and it's just a distraction. You have to be careful that the devil doesn't use a distraction to steal your focus, your motivation, and to cause the fire of God to go out in your life. Stay focused. Keep your priorities. And make sure that the enemy doesn't use some sort of a distraction that pulls you away from the things of God and, and causes the fire of God to go out in your life. Anything he can do to cause us to shift our focus cause us to shift our attention to something else. Whatever we put our attention to tends to get better, tends to get bigger. If you focus on anything, it tends to be magnified. If you ignore something, it tends to get smaller. And so when you focus on your, the fire of God, the, the gifting of God, when you focus on your walk with God, it will tend to be bigger. But if you get distracted, it inevitably begins to shrink and get smaller and smaller. So be careful that you do not lose your focus. When the fire of God begins to diminish in your life, your dream begins to fade. And um, your hope begins to grow dim. Uh, most all of us have a dream, a hope, a desire. Someday I'd like to do this. Someday I'd like to have that. Someday I'd like to, for God to use me in this way or that. And we all tend to have dreams that God puts in our hearts. 
When the fire begins to grow dim, the dream goes dim, and our faith becomes very weak. The hope begins to diminish. So these are ways that we can know that the fire is starting to go out in our lives. Now, the illustration is about a fire. But the spiritual condition is addressed in a number of ways throughout the Scripture. And I want to mention a few of those other ways that God addresses this condition, but He uses different word pictures, different analogies to get it done. For instance, in the book of Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gave a story or a parable about a, a farmer that took seed and went out and scattered that seed, planted that seed, uh, for a harvest. And uh, after having given the story, the disciples said, why do you use parables and stories that don't seem to be really clear and we don't always know what you mean by them? And he explained to them how that the stories were a way of hiding the truth so that only certain ones could find its meaning. And so he said, I want to explain to you what the story of the farmer that went out and sowed his seed is about and how to apply it. Let me read it to you. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. Secondly, the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have a deep root, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing in God's Word. Thirdly, the seed that fell on the thorns represents those who hear God's Word, but all too quickly the, messenger is, the message is crowded out by the worries of life and by the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. And then fourthly, he said, the seed that fell on the good soil represents those who truly hear the word and understand God's word and produce a harvest 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as has been planted. So responses to the truth, the gospel, the message of the kingdom. First of all, the footpath. Um, they didn't have any, the, the, the seed was planted, it grew quickly, but they didn't have any understanding. There wasn't understanding. I wonder if there was no one to disciple them, teach them. No one built a relationship with them and pulled up beside them and helped them to understand. All we know is they didn't understand, and because of that, it withered and died. Then he talked about those that, um, that um, the seed fell on rocky soil. And he said, they didn't have any root. Uh, the, the water was not close enough. And so because of that, it died, and it died very quickly. And he said, this is what happens when people hear the word, they receive the word, but then problems and persecution comes along, and they fall away. How many times have I seen people give their heart to the Lord and have a great conversion experience? But as soon as problems and difficulties of life come along, they forfeit their faith and they're back living the same life they were before. Jesus saw that as well. The third type of soil were those that was uh, the, 
the, the, the thorny ground. So the seed that fell in the thorny ground, it too came up. Before long, uh, the thorns choked out the seed of God's Word and nothing was produced. And he said, these are people that the cares of life, the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of career and success and all the things that the world offers, it just choked out the Word. How many people are not in the house of God today because they just don't feel like they have time? They just don't feel like they have time. What's going on? Well, the world has just choked out the seed of God's Word in their heart. We tend to make time for what we really value and we believe in. And then finally, there are those people with good hearts. They receive the Word. They nurture the Word. They keep their priorities straight. They stay focused, and uh, they bear fruit. And they grow in 30, 60, even 100-fold. And that's the kind of person I want to be. How many of you want to be the kind of good soil that the seed of the Word of God can grow in? I don't want to be the kind that lasts a little while and dies, but I want to have a lifelong walk with God. So that was a second way that the Bible addresses the tendency that man has to start out strong in their faith and their love for God, but over a period of time, it seems to just kind of die out to one degree or the other. And then Jesus wrote a letter to churches that existed in the first century. That letter's found, those letters are found in the revelation of Jesus Christ in chapters 1, 2, and 3. John, the oldest living apostle, wrote in Christ's behalf these letters to the church. He wrote a letter to the church in the city of Laodicea. While we visited Ephesus a few days later, we actually went to the ancient city of Laodicea and stood in that city that Jesus wrote the letter to. At that point, there was a powerful Christian church in Laodicea. Today, it's only ruins, and it's in the nation of Turkey, and there is only a slight representative of Christianity in that entire nation. How much has changed in 2,000 years? So, Jesus said, write this letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. This is um, the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. He said, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you're not, since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. You don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire, that you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. I'll come back to that last verse in just a few moments. So the problem with Laodicea was indifference. Indifference. They started out hot 
great church was birthed. People got saved, truly converted to Christ. A powerful church was build, built. Some of the great history of the first century church happened right there in the city of Laodicea. But over time, the water cooled off. They weren't hot. They weren't cold. They were lukewarm. And God said, because of that, I will spew you out of my mouth. And he said, the reason this is happening is just a sense of indifference. Indifference is a dangerous spiritual condition. It is that in-between, that lukewarm state, when you're not all the way in and you're not all the way out, far enough in to feel safe, but not far enough in to really be safe. A place of deception is a place of indifference. And so Jesus said in his letter to that church at Laodicea, he said, you say you're rich, you have need of nothing. You say that everything is right and good and fine and you're just where you want to be and everything's like it ought to be. But he said, I'll tell you, you're poor, you're naked, you're blind, you're wretched. You don't even realize the spiritual condition you're in. So indifference is a form of deception. It makes us feel like everything is cool when really it isn't. God help us not to live in the state of indifference. The flame and the fire of God is going out in our lives. One more reference that I want to give you about this condition. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the days of his return is drawing near. So the writer of Hebrews encourages them to, let's think of ways that we can motivate one another, encourage one another. You know, we need people around us that are motivated and that help motivate us. We just don't do well by ourselves. If we're by ourselves, we lose motivation. But when we're with other people that are pumped, we kind of get pumped too. So it's really important that you have key people in your life that are pumped. Because if they're, if they're not pumped, you're probably not going to be pumped long. And think of ways that you can inspire and encourage other people. Guard your words. Weigh your conversation. Is this conversation going to discourage them or encourage them? Is it going to motivate them or demotivate them? Is it going to fan the flame of God in their life, or is it going to be like water on the fire for them? Look for ways to encourage and motivate one another. We need each other. He said, don't forsake or neglect meeting together, as some folks do, but encourage one another. And he said, especially when you see the coming of the Lord near. So as we see the coming of the Lord approaching by the signs that seem to be everywhere, we should be going to church more, not less. We should be more diligent to be faithful in assembling together than we might have been in times gone by. But indifference causes us to go the other way. I read a story of a pastor who noticed that one of his new converts had stopped attending church. And after several weeks, on a cold night, he went to 
the new convert's house, knocked on the door where he was warmly received, and they sat in front of the fireplace. But there was no conversation. In a moment, in the silence, pastor gets up and he takes the tongs, and he takes a log that was burning so brilliantly and, and cherry red, um, and he takes it and he moves it off the fire and sets it over to the side, and set back down. Within minutes, the flame that had engulfed the log suddenly died, and the cherry red coals that had covered that log suddenly began to grow dark and dim, and there was just a thin trickle of smoke coming up from that log that had been separated from the fire. The pastor and the new convert sat there in silence watching the fire burn for a while, and when the little log had significantly gone out, the pastor stood back up, picked up the tongs, grabbed the log, and put it back on the fire. And within minutes, that log that had gone out caught fire again and started to burn. The pastor thanked him for his hospitality and began to excuse himself from the evening. But the new convert said just before he closed the door, Pastor, thank you for that fiery sermon. I'll be back in church next week. The point is, if the devil can isolate us for any reason, whatever that is, it could be overtime, it could be a second job, it could be a child or a parent that needs care, it could be your own sickness, but whatever separates you from the people of God, the fire goes out. You take the log off the fire and the fire stops to burn. You put the fire, the log back in the fire with the other logs and you've got a fire again. So be careful that the devil doesn't pull you away because it is a very important dynamic to keeping the fire of God burning in your life. Can you say amen? amen. So let's talk about how we can fan the flames in our own life. I have four simple things that you probably can guess what they are uh, already, but let's go through them real quick and I'll be finished for today. First of all, first of all, if you want to fan the flame in your own heart, do this. Seek God, seek God with all your heart through fasting, through prayer, and through personal devotion. It's never changed. It's never going to change. It's not rocket science. It's not like you've got to, you know, do something dramatic. But you have to seek God. You know, the nature of God is that when we are lost, when we don't know Him, when we are unsaved, He seeks us. But then when we are saved, we spend the rest of our lives seeking Him. As a matter of fact, if you study this in Scripture, there's a whole doctrine on seeking God. People that are hungry for God are drawn to God, and we're continually seeking God. I guess more people would live for Him if He was always doing the seeking. He was the one reaching out to us and pulling us in. But they don't want to be the seeker. But if you want to live for God a lifetime, you've got to learn how to be a seeker, and you're always seeking God, pursuing God, hungering for God, and doing things that bring you in a, in a closer place with God. 
It's important that we learn how to seek God. And the most basic of seeking God is simply fasting, prayer, reading your Bible, seeking the Lord in devotion. If you don't give God time, you'll never find Him and the fire will go out in your life. The enemy, Satan, the world, everybody is vying for your time. And we spend our time on the things we love and value and we perceive have a good reward. And so when you start seeking God, you start putting value and significance in God. And you start pursuing Him and saying to Him by spending time, You are my value. You are my great reward. You are the one that I love more than all others. And so it is so important that we learn how to seek God. The second thing is we have to get in the presence of God. And um, there's a great study in each of these, but I'll just hit them just for quick. Get in the presence of God through worship. Uh, Worship is really important. Worship is a very big word. There's a lot of things we do that could be under the canopy of worship. But nothing is more important under this worship canopy than worshiping the Lord, praising the Lord, and expressing your love and adoration to Him. We mostly do that with music in, in some setting. It's not just about music, but it's about worshiping God and, and expressing our love and adoration to Him. And that's what brings us into the presence of God. It's no accident that for thousands of years, church people have come into the house of God, are gathered in an assembly, and the first thing they do is start singing and worshiping God together. Because it's a spiritual dynamic that that singing and worship brings you into the presence of God. And so if you're seeking God and you want to fan the flames, get in the presence of God. Get in worship. Some of you have worship music on your phones. Some have worship music in your house. Some you use on the way to work as you're in your drive time. And then, of course, here in the house of God. These are important times just to push the world aside, focus on Him, and worship the Lord and get in His presence. It will cause the fire of God to burn more brightly in your heart. The third thing is get close to others. Get close to others that have a passion for God. Some people will steal your passion and others will increase your passion. Now, you all, you and I both, we have people in our lives that don't walk with God and they steal our passion. We have other people that add to our passion. So we're always going to have that mixture. But we've got to make sure that we've got enough people around us that are fueling that fire and not draining it from us. You have to be selective. You have to be intentional. You have to budget your time, manage your relationships in such a way that you have people around you that are encouraging you spiritually, that are fanning the flames of God in your life and helping you build motivation and passion for the things of God. These people are important ingredients to your victory. The fourth thing is put your gift under demand. Put your gift under demand. In other words, whatever you perceive your gifting to be, your gift mix, what you bring to the table, what you can do for others in Christ's behalf, what you can do for the kingdom of God, how you can be a blessing, whatever you perceive your gift to be, put it under demand. 
there's something about gifts that work best under demand. They tend to get rusty if you don't put them under demand. Uh, if you don't put yourself in a position to utilize that gift, they tend to get rusty. So I want to encourage you to put yourself in a position where your gifting will be used and your gifting will come under demand and it'll begin to function in your life. It's an important part of keeping the fire burning. Can you say amen? amen? Now I read to you from the book of Revelation chapter 3 where Jesus talked to the church of Laodicea and said they're not, warm, they're not hot, they're not cold, they're lukewarm and uh, just in a mess and didn't realize it. But then he said, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man will hear my voice and open up, I will come in. I guess the key is you got to hear his voice and be willing to open the door. He won't knock it down. He won't kick it down. He won't burn it down. You got to open the door. And he wants that kind of a mutual relationship. I stand at the door and knock. I really believe that God is knocking on my heart and your heart. And he's calling us to himself. But we have to hear his voice and respond to it. We can't keep doing the same old things and expect a different result. We, 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 we can't hear God say it and think, well, that's nice, and then go on with life as usual. But we have to hear His voice and make changes and make alterations and do something to engage ourselves. I really hear the Lord saying, come near, come close. I'm knocking, and I'm going to see who will hear my voice and open the door so that I can come close. I think that if I were to ask you individually, would you want the Lord to come close to you? Would you like closer fellowship and connection and relationship and communication? I think you each and every one would say, absolutely. But we have to open the door, and that's what this message is about. You can close your Bibles now. Father, I thank you for the sound of your voice, for the drawing of your Holy Spirit, for the promise you gave us to open the door, for the promise you gave us that if we would draw near to you, you would draw near to us. I pray, Heavenly Father, that your people would hear that voice and open the doors of their heart and respond to what the Spirit is saying to the church in this day and this hour. I pray, Father, that you would speak to your people in the private region of their hearts, in the midnight hour and on their drive to work. I pray, God, that your voice would be heard. I'm asking you, Lord, to stir in us a passion and a hunger for you like we've never experienced before. A desire to walk with you and be with you and experience you in a greater way. I pray this humbly and faithfully, believing that this is indeed your will and what you're saying to our church. I ask you to do this 
in the name of Jesus. Amen.